your story is someone else's cure because you've been there. You're actually there to help that person. So a snake bite, you you know you cure it with venom. S- someone with addiction, your story can actually help pull them out and mm. be their cure. In terms of my purpose and my revelation of God, I think that that all comes into play and I feel like I didn't go through all of that for nothing. This is the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss and eternity. This is episode number 47 of Sparrows and Wildflowers. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm really excited today to bring you this conversation with Chris Mezzano. Chris's story is truly a transformation story. He speaks about growing up in a beautiful Italian family in Melbourne and growing up in church before kind of going on his own journey. He speaks about the creative talents that he has and where those have taken him, but also speaks a lot about his journey of drug addiction, which he's come out the other side of. It's quite unbelievable to speak to him today and to know where he's at and to hear some of what he's been through. So I really hope you're as touched and inspired by this conversation as I was. Here's my interview with Chris Mezzano. I grew up in Melbourne in an Italian family, a very close Italian family. Uh, In my street alone, (laughs) seven houses were lived in by relatives of mine. Really? Yeah, like my... So my my grandparents actually live in the house directly opposite my parents' house. So you open the door and they're right there. I'd describe it like a real-life version of Everybody Loves Raymond. I was thinking and, of that. And that, that is literally what it's like. So our street in Melbourne, to this day, there are just aunties, uncles, cousins. They all live in the same street. We're a very close family. So that was like a positive thing? Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, I think so. Like it was cool to always have my cousins around when I was growing up. And still, like whenever I, I'm obviously living in Sydney now, but when I'm in Melbourne it's easy I don't have to travel anyone anywhere to see anyone they're all there and it's just we've always just been really close and it's cool very cool and what kind of kid were you I was a very hyperactive kid (laughs) I think I just loved to talk my my mum used to tell me that uh the spit in my mouth didn't dry up because (laughs) I just didn't stop talking uh and was just very fun always loved to have fun and just was always excited and positive and at a young age that was that was me and your parents were pastors yeah so my dad had his own church in east melbourne it was a small church i think we were maybe 250 300 people and we yeah we attended church as a family and that was that was really cool it was very cool. I, I, I used to love going to church, but it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of young people there, I remember, but I definitely, it was definitely a family church and it was cool. It was cool to be part of a small local church. No. And that's all I knew. To me, it felt like a big church, but because I was small. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, grew up in church. 
And did the the idea of God always resonate with you? Um, I knew who God was, and I think to a certain degree I just followed what I knew or what I was taught in Sunday school and things like that. I don't know if I ever had my own real revelation of who God was until much further down the track, but as a kid growing up in church... God was important to me because I, because that's what I felt like. It I felt like God needed to be important to me because that's what I was told. But I mm. don't know if I ever really was like actively reading my Bible and actually getting my own revelation of who God was. Yeah. Um, it's almost like someone telling you something and you just taking their word for it. And that was so. God was in my life in that regard, but I didn't necessarily have my own relationship with God. And what was your relationship with church like? Because I feel like pastors' kids can either love church or they can resent it. I loved the atmosphere at church because I was a loved kid at church. Like, I had friends at church. Um, I was popular at church. I wasn't a popular kid in primary school, so it was almost like a good place to be for me um, and very positive place. But... Again, there weren't a lot of young people there and so I didn't necessarily love going because I didn't have that many friends there, but the friends I did have were good people, if that makes sense. Yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. And what did you see for your future? What did you want to do? I always wanted to be a designer and a creative. My dad was awesome at... Well, he still is awesome at painting and he used to do watercolours back in the day. And he probably thinks they're horrible. I always thought they were awesome. But, yeah, he would he would paint and I would see that and just be like, I want to be an artist. And so I used to draw a lot as a kid um, and I always wanted to be, like, an animator and watched a lot of cartoons. And I was always, like, a inquisitive kid. Like, I wanted to know how things worked. I remember... Uh, I used to have a Nintendo, like the first Nintendo, mm-hmm. and I remember getting one of the games and drawing on pieces of paper uh, different characters, and then pushing them into the back of the game, <laughs> into the back of the game, and then putting it into the console, hoping that my characters would appear on the screen. <laughs> because so I thought that that would that would might actually work. I was just. Yeah. Wanted to know how things worked and wanted to create my own stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's probably a horrible example, but <laughs> no. I feel very silly doing that. But I did. <laughs> Nearly I blew up the true. house, but hey. No. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So was your dad like a bit of a role model for you then? Yeah, yeah, definitely. He, he My dad's a really positive, encouraging, uplifting person. And he was always, like, he calls me champ uh, all the time. And I'm sure a lot of dads call their kids that. But to this day, he still does. And he's just always been an encouragement to me. And always, I always saw him as a kid as almost like my hero, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I want, I, th- I thought at a very young age that he went to work and did more drawing but he was actually a pastor because when he'd come home, he'd do like painting and we'd be mm. creative and things like that. So I just thought that that's what my dad did at work. <laughs> so, 
but I obviously didn't know. Wow. <laughs> and did you go through a rebellious teenage streak or did you kind of stick with... I definitely went through a rebellious teenage streak. Okay. So I think because of my the way I was loved at church, I definitely wasn't a popular kid at school. And I think kids maybe looked down on me because my dad was a pastor and that was maybe seen as a bit uncool. Okay. And also... I just wasn't a popular kid. I, I, I don't know why. And so my friends would actually try and ditch me at recess and lunch. <laughs> oh, no. So they didn't want to hang out with me. And I think in primary school and like they'd, they'd tell me like, let's go get food from the canteen, for example. And then I, we'd be walking there and they just slowly hang behind me and then they'd run away <laughs> and they do that every day, That's which so is so not cool. Yeah. But it like planted a seed of insecurity in me at a really young age. And so when I hit high school, I basically, I sort of made this pact with myself that I wanted life to look differently for me and I wanted to be this popular kid and I wanted kids to love me and so I I started hanging out with I guess the really the wrong kids trying to be something that they would accept and love and think was cool and mm. so t- started taking drugs at a young age maybe 15 I started taking pills and speed and ecstasy all that stuff and by the age of 18, I'd tried pretty much every drug under the sun, uh, every party drug under the sun. And so, again, that is what made me feel cool. And I ultimately started living this double life. So I would go to church on weekends with my family and I'd still do all of that. But then during the week and whenever I was with my friends, I was a completely different person. And that really started a, a, this separation between who I was and who I was pretending to be and I guess in a way I started out being this good Christian kid and that was who I was but by the end by the time I was in my late teens who I really was was this not good person and doing all this stupid stuff hanging out with the wrong kids and pretending to be a good Christian Mm. if that makes sense. Were you happy? At the time, I thought that I thought that that was what life was about, and that that is where happiness comes from, and that God became this distant thing to me, and my faith became this distant thing to me. It was like God's there; He must be there, but you know, why not live it up? Why not try things? Why not have fun? And surely this is what people do. You know, this is you look at TV and. You read articles and all the celebrities are partying, all the all, and they're the who people look up to, and I just wanted to be someone that people looked up to and saw as cool, um, because of I guess the way things were in primary school. I just never wanted to be ditched by my friends, you know. I never wanted yeah. to be this. I guess who I saw as this loser um, that no one wanted to hang out with. I wanted to be the life of the party, and I thought this is who I am. And so this is what makes me that person. This is what makes me cool. Mm. Yeah. And what happened to the dream about 
being a designer and an artist? I, I still kept that dream. And so when I was 18, I started working at a small creative agency in Melbourne as a designer. I was just a junior designer. And I worked really, really hard. I remember um, we didn't have many big clients. I think the biggest client we had was STA Travel. And they, were, they weren't huge. But by the time I left that agency, I think I was about 22 when I left that agency, we had so many major brands that were working with us. We were working on multi, multi-million dollar accounts. It was incredible international brands. And so I then went on to become the creative director of one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world. And so I was traveling Australia a lot, back and forth between Sydney. We had an office in Melbourne and Sydney. And we had offices, 180 offices around the world. And so there was, again... 180? Yeah, 180 offices. That was at FCB, which is part of the Interpublic Group. And so, yeah, that was incredible. And then... um, And so I was working really, really hard. And, and again, the more I worked, the more reason I to distance myself from, I guess, my faith and God and stop going to church. I had more of an excuse to not go as much. And that's when I started to really pull away, I think, from my faith. And whilst I was doing that, I was also running a nightclub in Melbourne. Uh, And so that also really pulled me away from God and Mm. my family and any good or positive influence in my life. And I moved out of home you know, I moved away from the close family, uh, you know, from the street with every, every relative. Um, <laughs> yeah. I moved totally away from that because I was like, I don't want them to know the lifestyle that I'm living. Did they know? Uh, I'm sure they did. I mean, I really, I think I got good at hiding stuff. I think I got good at lying about what I was doing. Mm. Um, what did that do to you? I definitely made me feel pretty ashamed because I I never I never set out to ever disappoint my family or disappoint anyone or hurt anyone. Yeah. Um I just thought that I was doing what was normal and maybe that my family wouldn't understand because they're Christians and then they're going to look at me like you're partying lots like that's not right sort of thing. And they all they ever did was love me and want to see me succeed and do the best that they can I can and they did the best that they could not with what they knew like I would only tell them so much to them I was working really hard and on the outside everything looked great like I'm working a great job traveling with all these great brands that I'm working with and clients and on all these amazing international projects like that looks great so yeah. on paper, things look good. I'm earning lots of money. So they've got nothing to not be proud of, I guess. But my relationship with them was slowly just more and more distance over every mm. year. I think I'd just slowly but surely just distance myself and get further and further into the party scene. I remember I started taking cocaine because I was running running the club on a Friday night um, I would start taking cocaine at the club on a Friday night because I thought that's that must make me cool. And then I started taking coke on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then I realised that people in the advertising industry also, they're all 
doing coke too so why not start doing coke with them and so then i started taking coke during the week and that ended up becoming like normal and also became like this thing that made me feel like i was being more and more creative and more getting more done and had the ability to do more stuff because i could stay awake longer and i could think more and i was you know what i mean yeah. and it just became this really really debilitating um path like it's downward spiral i guess and yeah so things were not good but on the outside everything looked great mm. and i was getting lots of work done i was doing lots but i would just completely ignore anyone getting in the way of the lifestyle i was living not to mention in my mind i had hundreds and hundreds of so-called friends that wouldn't ditch me like they did in primary school you know what i mean so yeah. i was i was just trying to search for acceptance and love from the people that i'd surrounded well, that i was surrounding myself with did your work play into that as well? Because, I mean, you're getting validation from what's cool and these friendships. Like, yeah. did your creativity and what you're able to achieve and the status? Yeah. Looking back now, like, there was a definitely a, a good period there where I wasn't taking drugs. I think I achieved far more in that period than I did when I was taking drugs. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, I'd convinced myself that I was achieving far more when I was on drugs or on coke. Um, and that was what I took when I was in the advertising industry. That felt like, okay, this is this is helping me get lots done. And yes, there, there was definitely validation there because the people that I worked with were also doing the same thing. And so it felt normal. Again, you wouldn't ever, I would never go home and to my parents' place and say, hey, just so you know, everyone does this, so it's fine. Like. I wouldn't want to tell them that no way mm. and so i'd just come up for excuses for why i was working till four in the morning and for three days straight <laughs> you know <laughs> well, um yeah. and just hiding tr doing my best to hide what i was doing and really living a, a double life uh, ultimately and it just wasn't who i was mm. um and it just started to really affect my relationship with them, my relationship with everyone in my family, um, and they just started to think, oh, he, he obviously, this is, must be him, he just must be this person, mm. not knowing that there was this addiction behind what I was doing and the pe person I'd become. Yeah. And when you said earlier about, like, it brought more distance between you and God, did you at any point question your belief in the existence of God? I think I always believed that God was there. I just didn't believe that God was active and present in my life, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, I didn't have a relationship with God. And in that sense, I mean, like, I wasn't actively seeking God. I wasn't praying. I wasn't reading my Bible. There was no involvement in God. With There was no interaction between me and God, I, I, I felt. Looking back in hindsight, I'm so thankful because I think without God, I would probably be dead um, the way things ended up turning out. Um, but And I can definitely see God's hand over my life protecting me as much as he could from the stupid decisions I was making. Mm. But, um, 
Yeah, it definitely. I always saw God as like this distant being that obviously created everything, but why would he want a relationship with me and why would he want to be part of my life? Like he's off doing whatever God does. That's how I saw him. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Definitely not active in my life. Okay. And so how did it all, you said that spiraled downwards. How did that kind of unravel? So I decided, I think I was 28 years old. I decided I was a bit over the creative industry. I'd been in it for a while and it became very monotonous. Like it became almost like clockwork. Uh, I'd get a brief, you design something, you deliver on that brief, client's happy, you go to the next brief, you design something, you know what I mean? It just became the same cycle over and over. And so I was, yeah, I was a bit over that and I'd been traveling a bit and I kind of just wanted to settle down and I thought I had a bunch of money saved. So I was going to start this fashion label. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to do something a bit different. It's creative. It's cool. People like fashion. So they'll then like me if I do fashion. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. again, I was really just chasing acceptance. And when that happened, I left the industry. I had a bunch of money saved. And that was when I was introduced to ICE. And so ICE is an absolute killer of a drug and take my word for it it'll literally destroy your life and so um it wasn't long before everything started to really fall apart for me i think within a month i probably spent five to ten thousand dollars within a a couple of months i'd spent maybe thirty thousand dollars on ice uh i was i wasn't long after that before i lost the house i was living in my car everything that i had worked for was gone and everything in my life just came crumbling down. I became an absolute mess. I was I was all over the place. I was just distraught. I couldn't make ends meet. I would literally have nothing. I had nothing. And anyone who was around me, anyone I had sort of surrounded myself with, they were all pretty much gone. Like all the people I had looked for it, validation from were, were gone no none of them wanted to spend any time with me because of how much my life had just completely disintegrated <laughs> I was I was very lost and broken uh, to the point that over the next four or five years I would I, I tried to make more money any money that I'd make could go straight back into my addiction and straight back into um, the, you know my, my use of ice and I I started just feeling this whole weight of shame over my life. My whole... I I lived completely in the past, like I'd tell people, but I used to be this great creative director. I used to be this and I used to do that and I once was this and I... You know, do you know I used to do this and I I, I could do this and I was a shell of who I am today. I, I was a broken person, completely broken. And, yeah, four years plus of of ice addiction just really destroyed me really destroyed me wow do you remember a lot of the day today yeah um i would i would always buy a lot of drugs so i'd never run out and i was running a nightclub uh, a different nightclub 
in Melbourne. And so the people that were, I was surrounding myself with there were also addicted to drugs. And so I would just surround myself with them. And we had an office in the, in the like city of Melbourne. And so I would just sleep there and I'd wake up there, I'd work there and I'd just do drugs there all day. And then I'd be up for three or four days and then I'd crash out for a 24 hours and wake up and or I'd go to hotel rooms and yeah I was I was an absolute mess but day to day it was basically my life revolved around I've got to get tasks done because I've got to get design work done and things done because that'll get me money so that I can then pay for my next hit of drugs really and so when did that change for you because your life looks very different now (laughs) (laughs) yeah um it got to the point where even the people that i was doing drugs with and my business partner in the club and all those sorts of things they didn't want anything to do with me um yeah the opposite of what you yeah set out to find Uh, what i I set out to find acceptance from everyone and even they didn't want it like mm. even they I didn't even want to hang out with me <laughs> by that stage I was playing ditch Chris with myself oh. I was trying to ditch myself you know um yeah I'd gotten to a point where I was just I was I was broken nothing I was saying made sense I wasn't I just wasn't myself and so and your family by this <clears throat> point would be oh my family for so long would they knew everything like they knew that I was not well and that I'd was on drugs like yeah i'd gotten to a point where i definitely couldn't hide that anymore mm-hmm. and when things had really fallen apart and i'd lost everything they were trying to help like they were trying so hard to help me but i just was ignoring them for and i think back now and i think how horrible that must have been for them um but you got to understand they were they were reaching out to me and i just was not responding for weeks they Mm. were i think my mum my dad were probably waiting for a call from the police or an ambulance or something to say that i'm either dead or in jail like it gotten to that point and i'd rock up to things late and i'd leave early and i when i say late i don't mean 10 minutes late i mean like three hours late i'd rock up to christmas lunch and then i'd leave 45 minutes later because I just didn't want it. I didn't want them to see me how I was. I didn't want them to see the person I'd become looking so... Like, I looked homeless. Uh, I was... I Any money, anything that came in, was that's where it would go to drugs. And so mm. um, it got to a point, and I remember my dad said to me, look, if if this is what you wanted for your life, if this is... Which I didn't. I Deep down, I didn't. I knew I didn't. He said, if this is if this is the picture you, you have for your life, then keep going. But if you want more out of life, then something's got to change and you've got to do something. You can't be li- living like this. And that really hit home for me. I think that started me, me thinking, okay, no. I, I probably didn't tell him this at the time. I probably was like, yeah, I'm happy with my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I am happy, you know, because I wouldn't want to admit that I was literally... I had failed. Like, uh, to me, it, it felt like I had l- literally failed my life and what a broken mess and just a failure of a person I am to have gone from 
being a really successful creative to just being homeless and having no one even want to speak to me. Like, it got to that point. So there was a huge amount of shame in that and a huge amount of just guilt and depression and everything. Like, uh, if you must be some... Like, in my mind, I must be really, really low if I if no one wants to even hang out with me now, you know? Right. And so it got to that point, and when he asked me that, I said, look, I, I would have denied it at the time, but I think not long after that, they had a very real conversation with me about going to 180TC, which is a rehabilitation centre in Sydney. And I am um, denied, and I was like... Keep in mind, at this point, I also wanted my parents to just accept me. I wanted... So, I was always just chasing acceptance. I was chasing acceptance from my friends, but I was also chasing acceptance from them. I wanted them to accept the life that I was living Mm. and be proud. Aren't you proud of me? Aren't you... You know, I was saying all that. I was just desperate for this acceptance and, I guess, and love and... And my parents loved me. Like, they totally loved me. But... I could see that in their eyes they were just desperate to help me, just desperate to see me change. And I was like, well, if this is going to help you love me, which they did love me, Mm. (laughs) but in my mind they didn't. I think I thought that no one did. And I didn't really love myself, to be honest. I was at a point where I I just hated where I was at. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to 180 and... We'll see what happens. We'll see. Maybe this will make make them proud of me and make them love me, even mm. though they did love me. Yeah. <laughs> but in my mind, I didn't think that they did. Yeah. That's a hard thing, I think, to show someone love and acceptance. Yeah, it does. When, it's, when, when their you, behavior when, is hurting them. Yeah, not just that. Like, mm. I think back and I think, wow, I must have, re- I really hurt them and, Sure. I think I think back and go, all I can do is move forward with my life mm. and do the best I possibly can with what I have and learn to love everything that I, everything that comes my way, everything that God puts in my life, everything that, like, and appreciate, like, the fact that my parents, appreciate my, my parents, appreciate my friends, but also... Um, just have a clear vision of where God wants me and where I need to be and, and just be appreciative of everything and and um, don't take it for granted, you know, mm. because ultimately, like, it, stuff comes and goes. Like, it, it really does. Money comes and goes, all that, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, God remains and... Mm people like your family they'll they'll stick by you they'll they'll always stick by you and always love you my family did anyway and so yeah yeah that's beautiful so what did happen when you got to 180 tc so it's a it's a year-long program and i'll tell you what when i got there (laughs) i was not in good shape um i was not in good shape i was pale and just yeah i hadn't seen sunlight in a while and so it was a big change, a really big change. So it's basically a community of guys um, for the men's program anyway, 40 guys that you're living in the Blue Mountains. 
and it's no phone, no computer, no outside connection, one phone call for 15 minutes a week, which was a big change for me. Mm. So you learn to a really, from the get-go, they sort of, they take everything away, I guess, like distraction-wise, and you learn to really appreciate people just being in the moment and not being distracted by social media and all that stuff and things that can get in your way. And you learn to just be quiet and be at peace with yourself and be in a place that, a beautiful place surrounded by a community that just loves you and is encouraging. I thought I was going to go to 1ATC and just get off drugs. Do you know what I mean? And I thought going to a rehab, that's what I'm going to do. But I actually didn't just get off drugs. I ended up gaining so much more than that. I gained lifelong friends, friends that will always be my closest friends, friends that want to see the best out of me, want to encourage me, want want to see me go forward. The friends that I was always looking for, you know, the friends that I, that I always desperately wanted, you know, yeah. um, but not for anything that I've done or anything. Like, they just love me because they love me, you know. Um, I don't have to prove myself to them. Um, and over the 12 months, they helped me repair the relationship. I really had left in ruins with my family. Like my family, I, they did everything to support and love me. And I just, I was so bad. Like I was not in a good way, but over that 12 months, like my dad's my best friend, like without fail, I, I say that proudly, like my family is just amazing. And they helped me build that but they also then obviously helped me come to my own relationship with God because it is a faith-based program and I'll never forget what that was like and where I was and just how that all came to be but in the first few weeks I remember just sitting there and going God if you're real we're gonna do this I'm gonna do this you're going to have to come to the party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was pretty much that. That was my prayer. Wow. And so I remember I just started reading the Bible. My dad had bought me a, a message Bible. And I said, God, I'm going to commit to reading this every day. And and I'm just going to sit here with a highlighter and just highlight things that stand out to me. And I ended up reading the Bible through a couple of times couple of translations again no distractions so mm. i could really just sit there and study the word of god for however long i wanted you know there's no outside it was it's actually a beautiful place like a beautiful place it's funny because some people would pay money to go to a place where they have no distraction yeah. in the middle of the blue mountains for a week let alone a whole year yeah um and that's what i got and it was amazing and one of the best decisions I ever made. Wow. Yeah. Was it a hard journey? It's definitely a hard journey in the sense of you've, you've got to deal with some stuff and you've got to learn to deal with people that come from all walks of life as well. So you're not living with 40 awesome guys that are, you know, in suits and <laughs> businessmen. You're living with guys from prison. You're living with guys from all walks of life, homeless, to successful people, to everything. And so you've got to learn to live with people and it's almost like you 
get this pastoral spirit in you because you have to deal with stuff every day. Like, mm. it's like being at a school camp, if you can think of a school camp, but with, like, 40 guys that are rough. <laughs> 40 rough but lovely guys. That, yeah. Uh, and that just want the best for each other but have their issues with each other. And not to mention it's tough because addiction is hard. and It's hard to be away from your family. It's hard to be like you're not alone there ever. So you live in your room, there's three guys, you know, you're always with people. So you don't get a moment by yourself really, except when you go to the toilet or something like that. Yeah. But you're so... You, and there's obviously freedoms are taken away from you in the sense of you can't just go for a drive up to Macca's and, you know, you do whatever you want. You, yeah. You're there. So that can be hard. For a whole year, that can be hard, that in itself. But not to mention, you look at addiction. Addiction, if you think of addiction as like a, an iceberg, that's usually the result of a whole bunch of stuff below the surface. And an iceberg is the big stuff's below the surface, stuff you don't see. And that's the stuff you got to deal with. You know, I had to deal with all my acceptance stuff. I had to deal with all my family stuff. And that that's hard. Yeah. And it's hard when something doesn't go right. For example, you might have a tough conversation with someone. You only get a 15-minute phone call a week. It's not like you can ring them and say, hey, you know, I'm sorry what I said or hey, can we chat about that a bit more? you, you got to think about it for another week until the next phone call. And so some some weeks you have a great and other weeks you could be sitting there for a while really going over stuff in your head and doing head miles and all sorts of stuff, just trying to pull stuff apart and think about stuff. And Obviously there's guys there that, you know, you have a caseworker that talks you through things, but and you can study while you're there, you can do all sorts of stuff to grow yourself as a person which I did, but it is definitely tough. Like, it comes with its challenges. Yeah. But I, but I love it. I would never have changed it for the world, mm. honestly. One of the best things I ever did. Definitely the best thing I ever did. You're listening to Sparrows and Wildflowers, episode number 47 with Chris Mezzano. And now here's a brief excerpt from episode three with Sister Mary Rachel Capitz. I was actually praying about a guy that I was dating and thinking, oh, is this the guy you want me to marry? I mean, if not, I really need, we need to end it, but is this the man? And it was funny because it was at that moment that I felt like the Lord kind of gently <laughs> knocked, like knocked him out of the way. I heard in the quiet of my heart, um, the Lord make what I what I say is a proposal that he said I I heard him say in the silence of my heart I have made your heart for me and no other man and at that moment is when I knew he was calling me to be what we say his spouse to be a bride of Christ and to follow him in this really unique way that was an excerpt from Sparrows and Wildflowers episode three it was my conversation with beautiful sister Mary Rachel Capitz. And you can listen to the full thing wherever you heard this episode. And now, back to my conversation with Chris Mezzano. And you asked God to show up for you. Yeah. Did he? A hundred percent. hundred and ten percent. What did that I, look like? Well, 
I think the more I invested myself, the more God turned up for me. It was like I'd put in 50% and God put in 150%. And just throughout my whole journey at 180, it was like God was weaving himself into my journey and just revealing himself to me through people, through stuff that was being spoken over my life, through different circumstances, through relationships being healed and putting the right people. I remember I have had a roommate named Joel and he was honestly the best person. It was like God put him there for me. And he might say the same for him, but it was like he he just we would sit it up at night and just talk about the Bible and just have these Bible studies and just discuss stuff and pray for each other that it turned into that we would actually have like these prayer meetings in our room, which was crazy to think that guys that had literally just walked into the program would look at us because we were maybe six months, seven months in and go, these, there's something about those two guys that we want we, we want them to pray for us. And it ended up becoming like a mini ministry for us. And it, but it taught us how to become like almost pastoral mm. and taught us how to, whilst they t- told us their problems, we would talk them through and share our testimony and share our story with them. And it, we became like brothers. It became like this brotherhood. And again, I look at that and go, I couldn't have done it without him, without Joel. And I honestly think if I had have gone at any other time, that would never have happened. I would never have had Joel there. I would never have had the same experience. And I feel like God just put the put the right people in the right places, the right time, and showed up behind the scenes without me ever knowing. Mm. You know, and there's like this peace about that that has made me look at my future and go, I can just trust that God's going to turn up and just keep putting the right people and the right... If I just keep walking towards him and keep just following the journey that he's put before me, and, you know, he's not going to light up the whole path, but he'll light up a step and I'll just keep taking the right step. And obviously that led to me then, once I finished 180TC, I felt a calling to use my creative gifts for God. And I'll never forget that day. That was an experience in itself. But really felt this peace that like God wants me to use to use my gifts for him so I went to um, I went and applied for college and then literally within a few months started working with our church part-time and now I work at Hillsong as a designer which is awesome and again I look at that and go only God like has to be mm. God which then just makes me want to dive deeper and want to do more and See, like, just continually trust that God's going to show up no matter what happens in my life. Yeah. You know? Was it a real process for you or was there, like, standout moments where God really touched you? Um, There's definitely standout moments. I think there's both a process and standout moments. Yeah. Or a combination of the two. In, In essence, there were things I had to do that I think God will open a door, but you got to walk through the door. Yeah. Right? And so there were always opportunities that were put in my place. Like the salvation prayer at the end of every service is an opportunity, right, for someone to maybe come to know Christ. 
that opportunity looked like that throughout my whole journey. So there was always an opportunity for me to minister to someone or grow my own faith or start a connect group or, you know, all those sorts of things have been things that have where I, where God's opened a door, but i got to walk through that door. I look at my journey through my transformation. There were definitely pinnacle times, things where I can go, wow, God, I'm, if that didn't happen, I don't know if this would have happened or if mm. that would have happened. For example, I remember um, there was a service really when, when I gave my life to Christ properly for myself because <laughs> obviously as a kid I grew up in church um, where we have a singer named Jad at our church. He was singing a song called As It Is in Heaven and I was reading the lyrics as he sang it and it says, I will sing like a man with no sickness in my body, like no prison walls can hold me. I will sing like I am free because I know you love me and I know you found me and the song goes on. But that actually became like the anthem for my whole journey. I wanted to sing like I am free. And I remember from that moment that I literally, there were prophecies over my life, people speaking over my life, praying for me behind the scenes. That obviously was a process, but then there were pinnacle moments where someone would just come up to me and say, I just want to tell you that God's got a real big plan for you and you're going to use, like I remember about four or five people came up to me individually that don't know each other and just said, hey, you're going to use your creative gifts for God, literally after I felt God tell me that himself. Mm. And so I've felt that, then someone randomly comes up to me and says that and then someone else comes up to me and says it and then my mum speaks to me at church and says, hey, I just wanted to let you know... I was reminded of a prophecy over you when you were at a church camp when you were about 10 that you were going to use your creative gifts of God. I just Uh, felt like I should tell you. Do you know what I mean? There were all these sorts of moments. And, again, I look at it and just go, I feel like God was weaving his way into my story and Mm. just showing up just to remind me that he's got me and that he's he's with me on this journey. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. I hope I'm explaining that. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) totally. Yeah. And then, I mean, your story is obviously such a beautiful restoration story, but you would have seen a lot of pretty tough things and maybe disappointing things, I can imagine, in 180TC. Yeah. I mean, without sort of sharing too much, uh, I mean, there there were guys there that had far worse stories than me. I'll almost look at my story and go... Sometimes go, wow, I'm, I'm actually lucky. Mm. You know, some of these guys didn't have a loving family. Yeah. Uh, or, or didn't grow up in church or just had it rough or were on the streets um, to begin with or in prison and all those sorts of things and made crazy mistakes that uh, some of them are very irreversible um, or couldn't be rebuilt or, you know. And so I was lucky that I could, but it was hard and difficult to see that but it also gave me motivation to go well if they can be here and change their lives and I can change mine there were some moments like I remember one of the staff members was trying to um, encourage us one day and he ended up breaking down into tears and said look you know because he'd done the program and he said you know there's there's guys in this room that when you you might think that you're all brothers here now but you need to look out for each other because there's guys in this room that may not live 
like that may pass away um, after they finish or when if they leave. And I didn't really think much of it, but it was true. Some guys don't make it. Like it's it's a hard journey, and that I think those obviously they that's they're devastating stories. But it's also motivated me to say every day, okay, this is a new day, and every day I've made a decision to stay clean, to obviously follow God, to live out my pur- His purpose for my life. And just keep walking and and keep going in the right direction. But there have definitely been some tough moments over that journey, and definitely some some people that like, yeah, didn't make it through, which is hard. It's hard to see. Yeah, that is hard. Does that shake your faith at all? No, because again, I I sort of think. I think God is always there if you want him. Mm. But if people aren't going to make a decision or make their own decisions just to go away from God, it's... Do you know what I mean? Like, that's their choice. And so every day I'm making a decision that this is where I'm going to be and that almost solidifies my faith, if anything. Mm. Um, Every day is a new day. Every day I'm going to invest my time wisely I think I think everyone has the one thing in common every day, and that's twenty four hours a day. Yeah, um, you'll all work walk a different journey. Everyone will be on a different journey, do different things, but they'll all have the one thing in common, and that's time. And how you choose to spend that time is literally paramount to how your day ends up. And I want to spend my time doing the right things that are you know investing in the right into myself the right way but investing in the bible spending my time uh with the right people that i am encouraging but are also encouraging me you know that sort of thing yeah it's so good. good yeah and so you did go to bible college moved up to sydney ended yeah. up on staff at hillsong church using your creative gifts yeah. what's that look like for you now well now i guess I feel like I'm doing what God's always intended for my life. And mm-hmm. when I felt called to ministry, it was, or I see it as ministry um, anyway, I remember God saying, I didn't give you your creative gifts for everyone else. I gave you them for me. And that was what I honestly feel like God really said to me and spoke over me. And I held on to those words and said, all right, well, if that's what you've done, then I'm just going to walk this journey and you'll either op- you'll open the doors if that's what I'm hearing is right, you know? Yeah. And so obviously when everything, every door has opened the way it has and I've obviously come onto staff, I feel like I'm living out God's purpose for my life. And so that's that has been the rewarding part. That's I feel like I'm actually doing what God wants for me and as a result of that everything has sort of been awesome (laughs) like I can't really describe it any other way it's just been great and um it's it's just life's great you know what I mean that's so good (laughs) and what do you do I work in the creative department in our communications team which is basically what we communicate as a church globally from a creative standpoint so everything from campaigns to 
album covers to conferences to um, yeah pretty much anything you'll see from our church visually uh, yeah we'll, we'll do nice which is cool yeah. And do you still struggle with, like, you spoke about the monotony of work before and also, obviously, the acceptance stuff that was such a fundamental issue for you. Do those things still get to N- you? No, because one, I find acceptance in God and that's a constant. Mm. And if you're looking for God, if you, if you're looking at for your acceptance in God, you'll always find that there because God loves us and he's always going to love us. And so I just look for him for for acceptance. Um, In terms of the monotony and things like that that I spoke about earlier, no, because I I don't find it monotonous because I feel like there's a greater purpose to what I do. Mm. It's It's not a client that just comes and goes. It's actually I'm building the church, but I'm also helping bring people to know Christ and that's a mission that that's a brief if we look at it like that that I'll never ever complete if that makes sense I'll never ever get to the end of that brief because there's more and more people that need to come to know Christ there's more and more people there's always going to be someone that needs to hear about the message of Jesus no matter what so I'll never get to the end of the brief I'll never have a satisfactory client or a client that goes the church is never going to go okay we've got enough people here (laughs) it's all good Um, you know or God's not going to go All right, heaven's filling up now Mm. you know what I mean so I'll never get to the end of that and so everything I do is just part of that story and that journey as opposed to one job that comes and goes yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And your family must be excited to see you thriving. My family are awesome. They're so yeah. good and always just loving and supportive. My mum calls me 47,000 times a day <laughs> to tell me. <laughs> um, but she's great. And so is my dad. Honestly, mm. as I said earlier, my dad's like my best friend. Mm. And so good. Would you have any, I don't know, encouragement or advice or anything for people who have a loved one who is on a bit of a destructive path? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would. I think I think for the most part they need to come to a place. It's, it's almost like, for me, I found happiness in the drugs that I was taking because it took me made me forget where I was and it almost became like my medication or my medicine for how I was feeling. It took away the shame. It made me forget that I was a failure and all those sorts of things. And I think what families tend to do is try to just tell people to stop or try to just pull them away and say, oh, that's you're doing the wrong thing. But they need to come to that decision. And all you can do is really just love them through that and just set your own boundaries rather than set boundaries around them. Mm. Um, I think one of the best things my parents did was actually start to set their own boundaries and say, look, if you're going to be spending time with these people and you're going to be doing this, then, you know, we can't have you on drugs at our house. It's unsafe for us. Do you know what I mean? It's not fair to us that you're on drugs here. Like, because then you're putting us at risk and we want to help you. 
And so they set boundaries rather than putting boundaries on me, like you can't see this person, you can't see that, because that ends up just, it's like you're taking away my medicine and you're taking away my happiness, which in, as a result, you're taking away my happiness. And I think that's one thing. My, my advice would be to, to love them, but set your own boundaries and know when to, when they're breaking those boundaries, when to say, hey, that, you can't do that. Um, but definitely love them and always make home or wherever it is a loving place. Um, I know there are different circumstances and everyone's different, but for me, that's what worked. I knew that my parents loved me mm. no matter what. If I went home, that they loved me. Um, but I was just caught up in my own shame. That's why I didn't want to be around them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really helpful. And then for you, would that be like from the Bible? I mean, you read it through twice in a year. That's <laughs> impressive. Um, is there? I'm always interested to hear from people if there's a particular figure or passage or story that has kind of really marked you. Yeah. So again, I look at this scripture. So it's Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19, which says, forget the former things or forget mm. about the past. Don't keep going over old history. I'm about to do something brand new. Don't you see it? It's pouring out. I'm making a road through the deserts, rivers in the badlands. And it talks about um, just to let go of the past and how God's going to do something brand new. And that scripture definitely has been something that I've held on to. Um, funnily enough, when my parents first found out about me doing drugs, they asked me to come to church. And Pastor Brian at our church was speaking on um, on doing a, a new and brand new. It was like Vision Sunday. And oh, that yeah. was actually the verse that they brought up, that Vision Sunday. And I never forgot that verse. And then years later, that ended up becoming like the verse that I just held on to. Um, obviously, my my life went so far down the downwards in that time. But I, I now look back and again, I see that God was just there with me, you know, just just reminding me, hey... I'm with you. I'm 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 going to protect you. And so yeah, that that verse would definitely be one that I really love. I always love. Mm, incredible. Yeah. And then like you've spoken a lot about, you know, God's love for people and yeah. all these things. How would you kind of sum up the core of of what you really believe about who God is and how that all works? <laughs> <laughs> um I think that God wants us to not just love him but love others. And I just believe that if you put your faith in God, God will always see you through and that it's not it's not about here, it's about your eternity and it's about your decisions that you're making for your future and your generations. You read through the Bible and it talks about so many people that were blessed because of the generations before them. Mm. And for me, it was about setting myself up so that my kids are going to have a great life and the next generation after them. And I want to live a life that is not just pleasing to God, but also is going to help other generations. And that's ultimately why I even 
shared my story to begin with. I was hoping that someone, if it helped one person, I would be, I would be stoked. Like, how cool is that? Mm. That just someone else comes to know the love of Jesus as a result of my story. And I, funnily enough, I heard a, a message about from TD Jakes, and he said, "What the devil tries to." It's like snake venom. When you get bitten by a snake, what the devil tries to destroy you with, the cure is actually the anti-venom. It's mm. more venom. Mm-hmm. And so God is making a cure out of us. You know, your story is someone else's cure. So because you've been there, you're actually there to help that person. So a snake bite, you're, you know, you cure it with venom. S- someone with addiction, your story can actually help pull them out and mm. be their cure. And I think that that's really cool. And so Mm. in terms of my purpose and my revelation of God, I think that that all comes into play. And I feel like I didn't go through all of that for nothing. I feel like I went through all of that for a reason. Mm. And do I regret a lot of the things I've done? Sure. But in a way, I'm also thankful that I am where I am today. And I don't know if I would be (laughs) without that journey. But what a great story I now have to maybe help someone else come to know Christ. So great. Is that all right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And then what are you hoping the future looks like for you? Um, I want to get more pastoral, I think. Uh, Or I want to learn, like I look at some of the great pastors in our church. I even look at people like Cass, for example, who's our creative pastor. I just love how pastoral she is and I want to get better at that side of things in my life and I also I want to be in here for the long haul so for me it's about how do I always stay afresh you know and always um, feel like I'm walking God's purpose for my life so the future for me just looks like that I guess just growing in my faith, growing as in my pastoral skills. I don't want to just be a designer. I want to actually help people come to know Christ. It's not just about cool design work. Cool design work's cool and it's great and graphics are awesome. And but I want people to actually feel like, hey, you know, when they see that, that they might actually go, hey, I'm going to go check that out and end up coming to church or. When whatever they interact with, that they're actually interacting with something that might lead them to Christ. That's what I ultimately want to do. And I don't think that you ever get there. I don't, like I said, I don't think that there's a fi- final destination in that. I think that that's an ongoing thing. So that's that's my future. 